I know you're being patronizing. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, it's how many of us celebrated Christmas? Yeah. How many of us survived Christmas? Yeah. Right? Still still it's still out, right? We gotta get through the new year and then and then maybe maybe we've survived. How many of us how many of you hang stockings? Cool, cool. Question, do you open stockings Christmas Eve or Christmas morning? Morning. Somebody just said morning like that's a horrible thought to do it on Christmas Eve. Morning. <laughs> like, what? Oh, that's true. Santa has to come to fill this. Okay, I'll give you that. I didn't even think of that. Uh, <laughs> we don't hang stockings at our house. Um, so, okay, th- that question. How many of you Christmas morning, like, you open a special, like, designated gift, and then you do, like, say, like, you do breakfast, and then you come back and just obliterate everything else. Anybody do that? One or two of you? All right. <laughs> you guys do? Okay. The gift that's too big to wrap, like that's the one you play with for a bit. How many of you just tear through everything and we'll eat when we need it? All right. <laughs> that's a hearty amen. Okay. What do we call these? We call these Christmas traditions, right? Traditions are cool. They're, they're helpful. They're kind of guideposts, kind of corner stakes in, the, in, our, in our family society where uh, it's kind of an excuse to get together. My family on Christmas Eve, we used to always get together and we would sing um, Christmas songs with my mom playing the same upright piano she learned to play in the 50s that hasn't been tuned since then. And it's good because none of us can sing. And so we all sound like we're along with the piano. Uh, and my dad would read Luke chapter 2 and then we would all go do our own thing. Um, how many of you leave, like, cookies and milk or something for Santa? I realize this is Southern California. Maybe it's like a Cliff Bar and a Powerade or something, <laughs> right? Yeah, we would do that, um, and then we would take it a step further because we cared, and we would feed the reindeer. Yeah, so reindeer, they eat oats, right? Like, that's a thing. So we get Quaker oats, put them in a bag, and then they're magical reindeer. And wh- how do you make oats magical? I'll tell you. Glitter. Yes, yes, you add glitter to the mix and shoot it up, and then we go out and we throw it all over the lawn. And I don't know so much it was like, hey, feed the reindeer, or if it was like, Santa land here, so we have like reflective particles in the lawn, I don't know. Um, But that was a tradition. And then we're moving away from a Christmas tradition to another potential um, tradition, right? New Year's resolutions. And Brent has already alluded to this. He took all of my resolution jokes, so I don't have any, I'm sorry. Um, but the University of Scranton came out with a study regarding these resolutions, and they said 92% of New Year's resolutions fail. So if you keep your New Year's resolutions, we need to get this hashtag trending, I am the 8%, right? Because, man, you're special. <laughs> so I've never kept a New Year's resolution. I think one of the reasons they, they aren't kept is because many of them are, like, superficial, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to work out. And if you're a gym rat, you hate January, right? Because you get a bunch of people like me, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get swole in 2018. Size is the prize, right? Swole is the goal. Let's do this. And then I throw my back out on the, like, the machine, not even free weights, right? I'm the guy with the, belt, with the bench bar. Like, so, like, they're superficial. I'm not going to get swole, right? Unless I pull a muscle and it swells. That's the only way Tim gets swole, Right? Other things, so they're kind of, in a way, they're like sort of out of control, our control, like, I'm going to fall in love in 2018. 
Can I just tell you, you got better things to do, all right? Let, just fall. Who wants to fall in the first place? That's violent, right? And you fall. Many of the times people fall in love. There's a violent at the bottom of it, okay? So don't. Just live your life, okay? Just love will come, trust me, it happened for me. So she settled. We all know this. But so we all have these different resolutions. And when I was asked if I um, wanted to speak on this, I said yes. And then they said it's standalone. So it's not a part of any like series. And so you can pick your own text. You can talk about what you want to talk about. And my first thought was, I'm going to get in trouble. Because like, when Tim talks about what Tim wants to talk about, Tim gets in trouble. Um, and so I immediately started praying. And I was thinking, like, God, what, what is something like New Year's? We're making a turn that, that would be good to talk about, like a good um, passage to, to speak on. And then I was thinking, okay, well, let's make it core to who we are. Let's make it vitally important for us. And so what text could we as a church look at together that if we're not doing what this tells us to do, we're failing as a church? What text can we look at as a group of Christians, individuals, if we're not doing this as Christians, we're failing as Christians? And so I came to the text in Matthew chapter 28. It's the Great Commission. So go ahead, and if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> We're going to pick up in verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. If you open that to page 835, you'll be there with us. So before we go any further, I just want to pray for this time, um, and let's get into it. Heavenly Father, beyond anything else, Lord, we are grateful that you would have opened our eyes to behold your grace. You would have enabled our souls to taste and see that you are good. And Father, we are grateful that we live in a day and age where we don't just have your word, but we have it in, in a translation that we can understand, that we can comprehend. And so Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together and engage you through your word. And so Father, we pray that you would engage us in our hearts and our minds that we would be so vastly changed that then our hands would be engaged and that we would be challenged and encouraged and Lord, by your grace, we would be equipped to do the work of the ministry that this world, starting in El Cerrito and radiating out, would be eternally changed for your glory. It's in your name we pray. So we're going to be talking about resolutions today coming from the Great Commission. It starts in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to the mountain in Galilee, which he had directed them to. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Our first resolution for today, I want us to together resolve to pursue Christ in community. You see, from the very beginning, creation of man, God has desired for us to be in community with each other. And your relationship with God is reflected in your relationship with God's people. And so we as a community should resolve, make it our desire and a disciplined pursuit to pursue Christ in a, with a group of people. Now the 11 disciples went together to Galilee. They didn't send Peter. They didn't send um, John. They went together in pursuit of what Christ had told them, to meet Christ where he had told them to meet him. There's a group aspect to them. God has always intended this. And I've got some reasons. I've got some, some practical 
put the nail here, hit it with this hammer for you, okay? Practical reasons we should pursue Christ in community. One is because we minister better together. What I mean by that, I'm going to define this as outreach and a cross-reach, okay? We as Christians minister outreach more effectively when we're together. Jesus sends the disciples out in Luke chapter 10. He doesn't send them out one by one by one. He sends them out in pairs. A great example of, of when this has happened in my life, I was ministering with some university students in Taiwan, and um, coincidentally, I was ministering at this time with a guy named Christian, who's a Christian, and a very good one, and we were engaging <coughs> um, some Taiwanese university students, and they saw my tattoo, um, and it sparked a gospel conversation. My tattoo is a gospel tattoo. Ha, mom, it works. And uh, so tattoos are okay if you do it right. I'm not on staff here. That's not, that, that is not sanctioned necessarily by all the branch. But so they see my tattoo, and it starts a gospel conversation. And, oh, you have a cool tattoo, slave of Christ. What does it mean? Oh, that's cool, Golgotha, da 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 Oh, that's cool for you. And, and then he kind of dismisses it. But then Christian picks up on something he says and asks a question. And he kind of responds to Christian, and then I pick up on something he says, and so then I ask a question. We get into a good gospel conversation on multiple occasions. That's the only time it was because of my tattoo. On multiple occasions, Christian and I are so in sync with each other, it's like we're surfing the same wave. We're that in sync. And we walked away, and here's, here's the cool thing. We walked away both equally excited. Like, did you see that? Oh my God! Jesus is so amazing. We're both in the spirit and we're like, ah, and then he was like, ah, and we're like, ah, and we were both equally, we used real words, excited. It's different when you're sitting there and someone says, oh man, I just shared the gospel with somebody and this is what happened. I said this and they said that and you're like, oh, that's so cool. I'm so excited for you. Versus when you're ministering together, the both of us were equally excited about what we had done and that joy spread twice as fast. So when we minister, we minister not just more effectively because he was catching things I wasn't and I was things he wasn't, but then we walk away and we're even more excited. So we do more effective outreach when we do it in groups and in pairs. There's another thing though. We minister more effectively to each other and are better ministered to by others when we're in community. So I think of Acts chapter 2. There's a really good picture of this we're going to talk about in a second, but if you're trying to lone ranger it, when you have struggles, you're all by yourself. And I think of, <clears throat> I think of like me with my rock climbing ability trying to do things, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Alex Honnold does. Alex Honnold free solo, like free soloed El Cap with no rope by himself. Like he's good. Kind of dumb, but good, right? And that's like, what I would need him on belay in many places. And so if I'm working with somebody else, he can pick up on the strengths and he can minister to my need. He can tell me where to put my hand. He can tell me where to put my foot, when to swing, all that kind of stuff. So you are ministered to more effectively. If you're going through family troubles or you're going through financial issues or you're, you're struggling emotionally, this is what community is for. You are ministered to more effectively when you pursue Christ in a group because that allows the group to minister to you as well. I think of um, this, for instance, Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves, new Christian believers, to the apostles' teaching, 
So scripture and, and the truths of the scripture and the fellowship, togetherness, eat communion with each other, breaking of bread and prayers, we don't eat, we don't meet. Am I right? Amen? Yeah. Southern Baptists. And awe or fear came on every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through or by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. You see, effective ministry isn't just out, it's across. And sometimes the greatest witness we can have to non-believers is the ministry we have toward each other. The ministry we have with each other. It's the outreach, that's the cross-reach, as we've seen here. And then there are some other practical benefits. Did you know that you are 20 times more likely to stay at a church if you invest yourself in small groups? I didn't make that up. That's, that's a real statistic. You are 20 times more likely to be at a church long-term if you invest yourself in the intimacy and the knowledge of each other and the benefits of a small group. And I'm not just saying that because I'm friends with the small group pastor here and I'm not shamelessly plugging him. Um, small groups, we're not a church that does small groups. We're a church of small groups because we realize how effective the fellowship and the ministry. It says going to the temple and breaking bread in their homes. It's a biblical principle. It's not simply a pragmatic church growth thing. Another thing, more benefits. There's room for doubt to be expressed, plumbed, and resolved in group, in community. Again, January 21st, starting point. If you've got questions, you've got doubts, join this group, express them. And another thing about expressing the doubt with the room, it causes humility when you're in a group. It helps you realize, I'm not the person that this world revolves around. Shocker. It helps you understand, like, there might be another perspective about this. Again, shocker. When you're invested in a group like this, getting to have relationships with other people, and then you invest yourself in a small group with other people in a more intimate setting, you grow significantly faster. You're even statistically more likely to read your Bible on a regular basis. So you're telling me that if I invest myself in one of the core understandings of Christianity, community, that the other aspects of Christianity are more likely to occur? Yes. How cool is that? So the first resolution, we resolve as members of Olive Branch to pursue Christ in community. The next resolution, we resolve to live in light of our experience with the risen king. This is in verse 18. So when they saw him, 17, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Resolve to live in light of that experience. I can tell you that this experience drastically changed these disciples' lives. And I can tell you that their experience and then living the rest of their lives in light of this experience with the risen king drastically changed the world. 
We as Christians, if you call yourself a believer, you are living, hopefully, in light of your experience with the risen king. Let me explain this. <clears throat> if you're a Christian, you've come to the understanding that in and of yourself, you're broken. We had a, my wife and I had a great conversation um, with a young lady last night about how in her relationships um, with boyfriends and stuff, she, she always felt like, oh, it's not going to work out. I must be broken. What a great starting point in a conversation. To, to be able to lean in and encouragement and go, you are. It's true. And you know what? Ask my wife. She can agree with me. I'm broken. It's great because you know what? There are voids in your life. And if you're a non-believer here, you know what I'm talking about. There are voids in your life you've tried to fill. There are heights in your life you've failed to reach. There are things in your life you've failed to achieve. There's a joy that you know is missing. And when you experience Christ, the Son of God, who came historically, lived a perfect life, died a gruesome death, was buried, but rose again in victory over your brokenness to give you a new, whole, complete life in him. When you come to that realization and you realize, I don't have to keep striving. I can find success, joy, fulfillment, worth in Christ. That experience is what I'm talking about. Every Christian in this room should know what I'm talking about. And we should resolve to live in light of that experience that opened that knowledge to us. Yes, we're broken. Ask any Christian. We're still broken. But Christ is making us new. And we should live every day in light of that. I need to get back to my notes. I'm sorry. So this is both sobering, I think, and empowering. This idea of living every day in the knowledge that we have access to the risen king. Like a child has access to the king's throne room at three o'clock in the morning, so we have access to Jesus Christ 24-7. Only a child could get away with entering at that time. We have that kind of access to Christ. And we should be living in light of it. Um, I think a lot of times people say to me, well, Tim, you have a theological education. You've worked as a vocational minister. Like, that's fine and dandy that, that you, you think every Christian should be ministering and be a change agent and living, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, as an ambassador for Christ and looking like Colossians 3 says with this humility, gentleness, peace, patience, all that kind of stuff. Or like Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That's fine for you because you've got the education, but I don't have that education. I can never do ministry. I'm here to tell you you're wrong, and this is why. In Acts chapter 4, some of us, I think, need to write this down, and this needs to be a verse for us for 2018. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we, we come into this picture of Peter and John. They have turned Jerusalem upside down with the message of Christ as risen. And the leaders have called them in, and they're upset because they've turned Jerusalem upside down. 
And they have this great exchange. And in verse 13, this is, I love this. Now when the leaders, being they, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. So in conversation, they came to the understanding, man, these guys are not educated. These guys do not, do not have anything to make them special. These guys are a bunch of rednecks from a redneck place. They were astonished at how well they communicated. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You don't need a degree to minister. You need a relationship with Jesus. You need to spend time with Christ. And my first recommendation for you for kind of where to put the nail and how to hit it is uh, just, I don't know, just spend 12 years um, reflecting on Matthew 5 through 7. Just 12 years. Sermon on the Mount daily looking at the teachings and the works and the people or the person of Jesus and saying, Christ, open my eyes anew to these wonders that I can behold them. Unite my heart to fear my name. Teach me your ways. And then look to the risen king. Engage his teaching. And then live your life in light of him. So that's the risen king. The next resolution, and I'm not a homer, okay, but this is in the text, so I'm not just crowbarring this in here. Resolve to live, love, and share Christ wherever, don't laugh, all right? This is serious biblical stuff we're talking about here, all right? Wherever we are, no matter the cost. So resolve to live, love, and share Christ wherever we are, no matter the cost. This comes back into... um, the next couple of verses. So Jesus is prefacing what he's about to say with this knowledge. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. That's some great comfort, right? It comforts me knowing that Assad in Syria is not sovereign and powerful overall. It comforts me in my knowledge that Hussein was not sovereign and having power over all things. It comforts me knowing that Obama and Trump are not sovereign and do not have power over all things. And that all leaders and those with authority in this world will answer to him who has all authority on heaven and on earth. He prefaces this, and I think it's kind of easy to believe. He just rose from the dead. And then in his parting words, he says this. Hey, I've got all authority, and in this authority, I'm commanding you, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Live, love, and share Christ wherever you are, no matter the cost. There are a couple things I want to point out in this. (coughs) Um, Many people... When I talk about this, or this comes up in conversations, I get, uh, I get this response. That's great that you're so passionate about it, but I'm not called to missions. That's great that God has called you, but man, I'm glad he hasn't called me. These three words always come up. I'm not called. 
when it comes to fulfilling the great, this missional statement to all nations. And I want to agree with you. You're not called. You're commanded. It's a command. Go make disciples of all nations. We are all commanded to spend ourselves selflessly that the nations will hear (coughs) and grab hold of the glory of God. There are about 11,000 people groups. Nations translates to ethnicities or people groups. About 11,000 in the world today that we're aware of right now. More than 3,000 of those are unreached or unengaged. Unreached meaning less than 2% of those populations are Christians. Unengaged meaning that there are no known believers in that people group and there's no strategy or plan in place to reach them of all nations. We're all called to be invested, whether we're the ones going (coughs) or we're the ones holding the rope and sending. Every single one of you as a Christian, somebody who's experienced the risen king, who's a part of a community, is called and commanded to be invested in taking Christ to those nations. All right, off the soapbox. So, we've been called to go make disciples. I think oftentimes this is another thing um, that is intimidating to people. Oh, I can't make disciples. And I think a good vision statement for making disciples or for discipleship ministry is, this is easy to remember. You can write it down. You can memorize it. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Is your life a life worth imitating? And I think of, I think of that, and that's kind of my philosophy. I was talking um, <coughs> with my wife about this and kind of the next step I want to take in this. Um, it's literally, it's not like, I've got this curriculum, and we're going to have this class, and we're going to fill things out, and you're going to da-da-da, and there's homework. Discipleship is literally, hey, I read my Bible every morning at 5. You don't have to do it like that, but let's get together, and let's read together. I want to share with you how I read, how I find the things I find. I want to hear how you're doing it, and I want to see if we can maybe bounce some ideas back and forth and enrich each other's lives in how we read the scripture. Does that sound hard? This isn't a rhetorical question. All right, no? Okay, try this on for size, right? Hey, you know what? My dog's doghouse is uh, run down. This is strictly, you don't have to buy a dog, okay? My dog's house is, is done, so I'm gonna rebuild him a new house. You wanna come over and we'll just hang out and chat? Talk about what God's doing in your life? tell you what God's doing in my life? Does that sound hard? Difficult? Some of you are thinking, well, if I get a dog, yeah, because then I have to invest in dog food, and then I have to, like, it's literally, it's just life on life. Let's walk together. Let's strengthen each other. I'll, let's talk about this. Let's, let's read our Bibles. Why don't I, let's pray together. And as you pray, you know what you're doing? You're teaching them how to pray. You're enriching each other's lives with a gospel centrality. Go, make disciples of all nations. He says, go make disciples, right? He doesn't say, go make decisions. 
He doesn't say, go make appointments for your pastor. He doesn't say, go put an Olive Branch Community Church bumper sticker on your car. Some of y'all should take them off, by the way. <coughs> or stop driving like you drive. All right? There's this, there's this understanding that we need to have when it comes to gospel living, that there's such thing as gospel sharing. Does that make sense? We've adopted this, um, this phrase from somebody who, we have no record of him ever saying it, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Can I just tell you, it's always necessary to use words. The, uh, the word preach means to proclaim, to say. So we're basically saying, speak the gospel at all times, and if necessary, speak the gospel. On Christmas, um, we went to some good friend's house, and we, do you ever go to parties and you play party games? Right? I hate party games. Like, let's put something on the line. Like, let's make this competitive. You know what I mean? Like, I've got this burning desire to just crush you, and Pictionary just doesn't do it for me, right? Not, don't, my team still won. Don't worry. But have you ever played the game Charades before? I hate that game. Like, I just, I don't like being up in front of people, and so it's just, it's bad, right? Thank you for laughing. The last service, thought I was serious. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you get this, like, thing out of a hat, and you read it, and then you're stuck there, like, trying to communicate it, right? And you're, you're getting so stressed, you want them to get it, you want the point, and they're yelling out all this dumb stuff that you can't possibly understand how they're getting it from what you're doing. And then finally, like, what do you do you just yell the word at them, right? Like, this is what I'm trying to tell you. And we get so, I'm pent up just like talking about it right now. Like this isn't, I'm not faking this. I'm actually stressed right now. Um, but then I think to myself, why do, why do we play a party game when people's eternity is at stake? Like we literally like, yeah. And people are like, I don't know, you're a vet. You pet dogs and then you sleep and the next day you do it. No, 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 no. Right? And people are like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. And, and we're doing this with people and we just want to say, Jesus, he came, he lived a perfect life. He died a gruesome death. He was buried, rose again, and he's ascended on high. How do you not get this? Guys, sometimes we just need to share the good news. Sometimes we need to speak the good news. And by sometimes, I mean anytime you're around somebody. Speak the good news. Live, love, and share Christ. And I don't want us to miss this. No matter the cost. Paul promises that there will be a cost, even if you desire. For all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. But flipping back to the scene in Acts chapter 4, um, they summon them and they, and they basically they just say, hey, don't share the gospel. So they called them and charged them, don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than him, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
If you're truly pursuing Christ in community, if you're truly experiencing and remembering your experience and being motivated by that daily of the, of the risen king, you won't be able to help but live, love, and share Christ no matter the cost. And the cost won't change the message and it shouldn't change our determination and resolution to make Christ known wherever we are, no matter the cost. And then Christ gives us this wonderful, uh, I think it's twofold, promise and vision of mission in verse 20. He says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let us resolve to live our lives to the very end for that which has eternal value. I think of, um, I think of Paul in 2 Timothy, where he says, hey, look, my life, as for me, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I've given everything I have. I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. I'm nearing the finish line, and I'm stoked for the weight of glory I get to have. And, and Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, he says, hey, even though now for like our, our body, our outer body is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for a glory that far outweighs any suffering we may see or endure, endure on this side of eternity. I know of a lady in, in San Diego, I just visited her this month, and she's got two kids who are um, just wrecking darkness. They are both missionaries overseas, gone for years at a time, um, just, in, just on the edge. There's no light around them, and they are, they are planting churches. They are raising up leaders. They are equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry among unreached and unengaged peoples. And this, this lady, is um, she's getting near the finish line, and she is not slowing down. I was talking with her. Her, um, her husband is like wheelchair bound. They've got carers. And on Christmas, they went to the zoo because a lot of Muslims go to these places on Christmas because no one else is there. And she goes out of her way to reach out to these people. And she's like, yeah, there are a few tips I try and give everybody. When you're in the grocery store and you hear somebody speaking and they clearly don't, like they're not from around here, say, that's a beautiful accent. Where did you develop that? It just starts a conversation. Or you see somebody with a headdress or, or a hijab and you say, oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. What does that represent for your culture? Da, da, da. And she's like, you'd be amazed how many conversations and relationships that's opened alone. She is going to live to the very end of her life for Christ, making a difference. I think, on the, um, I think kind of on another end of the spectrum, you have a guy, really old dude named Polycarp. 86 years old, arrested by the government, sentenced to death for being a Christian. He's walking to his execution, and they say, bro, and they don't say bro, I'm not Keanu Reeves, but they say, Polycarp, listen, if you just deny Christ, you've lived a long life, man. You can, just, you can die in peace. And Polycarp says, 80 and six years Christ has been faithful to me. Why would I forsake him now? Let us resolve to not have a hot, flash-in-the-pan life of great commission fulfillment. Let us resolve to live our lives to the very end for that 
which has eternal value. There's always got to be a point in a message where the text is no longer parallel and we're looking at it, but it's curved and it's intersecting our lives. Hopefully the resolutions have done that. Hopefully you've grabbed onto something that, um, that you're going to commit yourself by the grace of God to do. But this is where I think about every single one of us. And I think, is there somebody in the room who all of that I've said, and they're sitting here going, I don't have any of that, but I want that. And I want to take this moment and this opportunity really for you. Understand this. If you're even here today and you remember the day that you've prayed or whatever to accept Christ, you were baptized and everything, and you're saying, man, that kid's weird. He's got, like, excitement and passion. How much coffee does he drink? When I talk about Jesus, I could be fresh out of bed not having had my 12 cups yet and get excited because I saw the end of myself and I saw where I was heading. And I said, no, 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 no. I want worth, I want value, I want life, I want Christ. And so if you're sitting here saying, I've never experienced that, or you say, man, it's been a long time since I've experienced that, I have a simple invitation for you. In a second, um, we're going to start singing, and people are going to come forward. The prayer team will. And if you want today to have that relationship with Christ, I would invite you to come down and pray with these people. And if you want today to renew your resolve to pursuing and obeying Christ, I would invite you to come down here and pray with these people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would move in our minds to undo our, our old resolutions to self, our old resignations to comfort, and that you would instill within us a passion, a desire, a longing to give our lives to you. You have all authority. You have the power to complete that which you've commanded us to do. So Father, I pray that you would help us to resign ourselves to you so that we could resolve to obey all that you've commanded. It's in your name we pray.